Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Reporting is Eligible is proudly supported by Appleton Coffee Company. They're a small local roaster in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I make a pot of their Packerland breakfast blend just about every morning. I also have a very large bag of the barrel-aged coffee that I enjoy on the weekends. If you go to appletoncoffee.com and use code RAE at checkout, you'll save yourself 10% and you will support the show. Once again, that's appletoncoffee.com, code RAE at checkout. special draft episode of reporting as eligible um this is going to be in addition to the regular show which should be out already um but i wanted to do one extra um, show as well just to kind of talk about how i go about evaluating the people that i do in the draft i'm not a natural scout uh guy i'm not a big film watcher it's just not the background i have and i could spend years and years and years and years learning how to watch film like scouts actually watch film and you know i get better at it but it's it's not my cup of tea and it's not really what i do and um there is a whole set of people who come at this from an analytics perspective too who i think know how to watch tape sort of well enough to find out what they need to know based on what they learned by crunching numbers. Um, and you know that's kind of how I, I come at things. And I wanted to talk about what I do behind the scenes, how much research I do. Um, and I, I wanted to do this partially because I, I've got a thing that's just been hacking me off. And um, that is the draft status of Felipe Franks. And I'll get, get to him more in a bit. I wrote a big, huge piece on him in Acme Packing Company like a week ago. Um, it's called Felipe Franks is the most criminally underrated prospect in this draft. And I still believe that. And this is actually very similar to how I felt about Tyler Huntley last year. And if you've listened to the podcast and read what I write, um, you, you know my Tyler Huntley story. So we'll get to that in a minute. But um, I, I do things quite a bit differently. And I, I want to kind of just shed some light on what goes on behind the scenes and, uh, uh, and the process here. Because I, I do think it's kind of interesting. And I do think it, it uh, taking these sort of analytics p- part of, of scouting does turn up some interesting things that you don't get in traditional scouting and some diamonds in the rough as well. So um, I, I do want to start with QBOPs. And um, I talk about QBOPs quite a bit, some, more than I should, actually. I, I just randomly mentioned it on Twitter the other day to Ben Fennell, who's just a film guy who doesn't know me from anybody. And um, he made fun of me for it, as he should have. But uh, QBOPs started as just a goof. And it, it's QB OPS. And, and the OPS part of it is literally the baseball OPS, on-base plus slugging. So um, I created it because I was talking with some people on Twitter and we wanted to be able to compare baseball players to football players. And I put it together to literally just match the scale of OPS in baseball. So um, if you follow baseball and you know that statistic, um, it's made up of two parts um, on base percentage and slugging percentage. Um, and combined, it's on base plus slugging. And if you have over a thousand or one, uh, that's good. And if you're close to that, it's pretty good. And if you're lower than that, you know, it's progressively worse. 
Um, and you can learn a lot about players from breaking down the individual parts as well. Uh, everybody knows from, I think, Moneyball at this point, the on-base percentage part is more important than the slugging percentage part. Um, and that's OPS is not a great stat. It's It's got some imperfections in it. But, but uh, it gives you a good um, a, a good upfront, um, easily findable idea if, if how good of a hitter somebody is. So it's easy to calculate. It's widely available, and that's what it's good for. It's not perfect. Uh, you can get more nuance with other things like like WOBA and TAV and um, various other offensive stats. Even OPS Plus is better. Um, but it, it's a good, quick, and dirty measure. It, everybody, I think, intuitively understands it because it kind of works on that 1,000-point scale. Um, and so you can see it and instantly know what you're getting. So um, with QBOPS, with QBOPS, the OBP part is similar in concept to the baseball thing. It it simply converts completion percentage to a number on the on-base percentage scale. So um, just as um, on-base percentage just tracks how how few outs you make, uh, you know, it, it gives you credit for getting on base, and it doesn't care if you hit a home run or a triple or just walked, it, that you get the same credit. Um, this works the same way. Completion percentage is just that. It's did you complete a pass or not, and it doesn't care about if it's a deep pass or a short pass or anything like that. So I just took that. I scaled it to um, 400 being excellent, just like it is in baseball. And, you know, a little worse is a little worse. A little better is awesome. Um, and uh, I have a formula. Plug it in, and it does that. So to add some scale to that, and that's why we have sort of the slugging percentage half of it. And um, in lieu of that for QBOPS, I just use yards per completion. I, I used to use yards per attempt. But that actually double counts completion percentage um, because it, that's part of yards per attempt. So we went with yards per completion, and I managed to find a formula to scale that to the general baseball slugging percentage number and add them together, and that's what you get. So I do want to point out for smart people listening, yards per attempt is pretty much the same thing. Um, where you get some advantage with QBOPS is actually in the slash line because there's a big difference between like a, a 320, 600 guy versus a 400, 500 guy. Those are two different kinds of quarterbacks. And it's useful to be able to see the actual slash line um, to determine what a guy actually is. So there's some data visualization um, benefits to doing that. Um, and it really does help. So like I said, this is all pretty simple. It's not a complicated stat, and that's one, one of the reasons I like it. And I originally built it for professional football um, but there are lots of freely available things in professional football that are better than QBOPS um, like CPOE is out there CPOE is essentially just a much better version of it um, you can always look at DVOA you can look at Ben Baldwin's CPOE versus um, EPA per play he, he likes that one a lot and those all work great um, but the formula works regardless of what level you play in so I started plugging it in for college guys and there you really do get some benefit and um, if you run it for everybody, it provides a really nice gradation of how productive every college quarterback is. So um, I, I did also add an inter. We'll get this is important for later. I did add an interception component to it to make QBOPS Plus, which docks players who give the ball away too much. Because you will get guys who push the ball down the field and look good if you don't count their interceptions. Um, but that's a big part of the game. The more chances you take, the more chances you have to turn it over. And so um, for those real gunslingers, docking them for that makes a lot of sense. So. So anyway, in college, we don't have a lot of publicly available things like DVOA. Um, uh, behind the scenes, teams and like 538, they have CPOE. Um, Josh Hermsmeyer, he writes articles about it pretty much 
every year, but we don't have it publicly available. I can't just go get it. I messaged Josh last year to see if there was a place to go get it, and he frankly told me there's, there's really not. And, you know, unless you're connected, it's not available to the common person. And um, you know, QBOPS, the best thing about it is anybody can calculate. I'm, I open it up the spreadsheet every once in a while. If anybody wants to take a look, they're more than welcome to do so. Um, and you know, it mocks CPOE pretty well, not as nuanced and not as adjusty, but it works pretty well. Um, so. I have this available for every college player that I want, and I have it for wide receivers too in the W in the wide receiver OPS form, which is conceptually similar. Um, so, the first thing that I do when I start evaluating people is I want to know who to look at. You know, I have a day job, and I don't have all the time in the world to look at everybody. Most scouts out there do. Um, uh, they don't have all the time in the world, but it's their job. So. I use this to pick out guys that are going to be interesting, either good or bad. So uh, the first thing I do every year is I make a big spreadsheet with everybody on it. And, uh, you know, not just the big prospects, but every single person out there to get a sense of how both the top prospects actually performed, pick out diamonds in the roughs that aren't on people's radar. Um, and I think that's a big thing that separates the analytics group from their traditional draft gurus, because while everybody brings biases to the table, um, you know, when they're assessing prospects, m most scouts will come to the table informed with things like wins and losses and strength of program and conference strength and your, your basic stats, you know, touchdowns and whatnot. And, um, and also like a player's existing scouting pedigree that they brought from high school that they've always had. Um, to some extent, the scout scout is working from scratch. He's there to evaluate everybody, you know, f as if they're new without, uh, you know, without as much bias as possible. Tell what they do well, tell what they do poorly, project what they'll do better. Um, if you do it the way that I do it, though, you, you get some targets. You don't come at everybody fresh. You, you get an idea of what their production actually was, and you can go and find out why everybody might disagree with you, why they agree with you. So, uh, and by the way, this is not meant as a criticism of those scouts. Um, most tape watching scouts put a ton of work in, like way more than I do. This is frankly a cheat on that. Um, so they bring an expert's eye to everybody that they assess. And it's not that they never unearth diamonds in the rough um, or, you know, pick out weaknesses from guys that are universally praised. They do. It's their job. And often they're quite good at it. Um, where analytics gives you an advantage, though, is it provides a little bit more objectivity, um, like a, a little bit of a knife to cut through a lot of pre-existing biases and let you focus on outliers that, that the numbers have actually picked up on. Um, so QBOPS loves Trevor Lawrence, and that's boring. Everybody loves Trevor Lawrence. Scouts, stats, every single thing in the world loves Trevor Lawrence. Um, but QBOPS loves Felipe Franks too, and that's worth going into a deeper dive on because he's not well-loved for a lot of legitimate reasons uh, that I've written about. So we'll get to Felipe in a minute, but um, going back to QBOPS for a minute, um, I have QBOPS going back in consecutive years to 2016. That's when I started actually doing it. And to test it, I actually pulled all of 2011 too. And I have 20. I also have 2005 and 2008 just because of some Packer research I did on Aaron Rodgers and Brian Brom. Um, and I also have a giant, huge spreadsheet that I made covering all quarterbacks from 2001 to 2020. Um, there's two types of QBOPS quarterbacks that tend to succeed in the pros. The first is the one I use the most, which is the 400-600 club. Um, that's the slash lines of OBP and slugging, respectively. And uh, if you don't like just the 400-600, all it means is you complete a high percentage of your passes, about 68%, and you have a very high yards per completion doing so. Um, and 
essentially you're not just a check down artist you're you're being very accurate while throwing the ball down the field and that's all that that's really telling you um the guys with higher obps also tend to be really really good when you get well above 400 those guys tend not to miss very much unless they there's some caveats there's some small school guys in offense friendly environments who do break the system once in a while but they're easy to pick out and generally speaking this works really well how well well um, going back to 2001, there are 76 400-600 club members, um, and of those 76, 63 of them have either played in the pros or are part of the current draft class, and, and of those guys, almost all of them are going to play in the pros, the only exception would be Felipe Franks, possibly. Um, of the 13 that didn't make it, th three of those were drafted and never played, so they still were on somebody's radar, and of the, the 10 that are left, you'll, you'll get some small school juggernauts like Boise State's Grant Hedrick. Or you'll have some guys that were good, but through too many interceptions. The big one that sticks out there is North Carolina's Bryn Renner. Um, his interceptions drop him all the way down to an 850 cube ups plus. That's a huge um, tank. Uh, by the way, North Carolina tends to crank out a lot of really impressive statistical quarterbacks that don't end up doing very well. I didn't really know that about them until I, I went through this exercise, but they pop up a lot. Uh, anyway, um, also worth noting, college offense has gotten hyper efficient lately um the cubops leaderboard is dominated by recent quarterbacks baker mayfield kyler murray tua jalen hurts joe burrow um all dominate the top of the list so i may have to do some adjustments sometime soon to account for this fact because it's not going to pick guys out as much if everybody's doing it um, but if you go down a little bit you'll also see philip rivers is there russell wilson as previously mentioned rg3 alex smith um, and a, a host of other guys who did pretty well in the pros or great in the pros uh, if you're wondering about aaron Rodgers, just because i mentioned alex smith he just barely missed the cutoff his, his slash line is 390 602 and adds up to 992 which for 2005 is actually pretty great by the same token um that's a long time ago and um you know his his selection was certainly warranted that's very very close to making the cutoff and um you know aaron obviously has turned out to be super great so uh, we'll get back to that you may notice a few guys in the recent classes that are missing from this uh patrick mahomes being the big standout and that comes to the other category which is good completion percentage and great slugging so if you fall before that 400 you can still be a good quarterback you just need to throw a ton of bombs in fact if you throw a, a ton of bombs like patrick mahomes did it actually is really hard to keep your completion percentage up that high in unless you're playing for just a totally stacked um offensive squad sec has a few teams like that but pat mahomes didn't like his team was actually kind of bad so um it's not that surprising but he still sticks out on, on the cube ops number as a whole um, his slash line was 389, 689, and 1,076, 1 1.076. That's really, really good. It was a top 10 keep ups for his year, um, coming from a, a good school and a good conference. Um, certainly warranted. And if you're curious about how Mitch Trubisky looked in contrast, he actually did clear the 400 threshold. He, he was a 401 OBP guy. But he was below 600. He was at 589. And um, he didn't throw a ton of interceptions. He threw six interceptions. But when you're not chucking it down the field, when you're not over the 600 threshold, those picks look a lot worse. Um, it looks a lot like the Mitch Trubisky that you all know and love. So um, his QBOPS wasn't great. And it's easy to see how Mahomes would look better. Um, Anyway, it's tougher to pick diamonds on uh, in the rough out of the second group because there are a lot of offenses that gimmick offenses that just kind of break slugging percentage to some extent. Um, it's sort of easy to not easy, but 
you can generate bomb offense in college um, in a lot of ways. You know, good receivers can make that happen for you. Um, gimmick offenses like Boise State's can make that happen for you. So you have to dig through this and actually be selective about you know why somebody is effective versus ineffective. But um, you still see guys like Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes in the top 10 uh, of QBOPs without fail every year. And that, it almost always captures those guys. One of the other good examples would be Teddy Bridgewater. And we don't know if he ever would have been super good before his really bad injury, but he also blew up um, QBOPs in, in a good way. So um, when I was figuring out the constants to make this work, uh, like I said, I went to 2011 because it provided a rare instance of a guy like Russell Wilson, a late-round quarterback who turned into a star. It doesn't happen very often. And it's sort of Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, and not that many others. But if you're building a system, it's good to have a guy like that so you can see if your system picks him out or not. Um, there's also a good control there because Andrew Luck was in that class, and you know he was a universally praised prospect along the lines of Trevor Lawrence this year. Everybody knew Andrew Luck would be good, and he was good. Not actually, I would say, as good as he probably should have been, but he was really good. So... Um, both of those guys hit on the 400-600 club. It did a very good job that year. And it, it picked uh, Wilson out as an especially good choice. Um, his completion percentage, um, given, the, given his yards per completion, is one of the best ever. He is, he is a 430 uh, for his completion percentage, which is incredible, especially for the time. It's becoming more common now. Joe Burrows was 450. But for the time, almost nobody had a 430. No, almost nobody completed as many passes as Russell Wilson did while throwing the ball down the field. Um, really incredible. Um, now, it's, I want to point out Keepops Plus here that it adjusts for interceptions because Brandon Whedon's in that class too. And his, his slash line uh, without the interception adjustment is almost identical to Wilson's, but he threw 13 interceptions, which is a ton and uh, really highlights why Brandon Whedon actually wasn't that good. He, his arm didn't actually justify the ability to throw it on the field that much. He wasn't quite as accurate um, on pushing the ball and it allowed people to jump his picks. So um, QBOPS Plus usually sniffs out the guys who are sort of um, impressing the other stat, but just aren't quite accurate and throw the ball away too much. So um, QBOPS also loved uh, RG3, as it should have. Um, like And uh, the down ballot guys, it also picked out Nick Foles and Case Keenum in the 400-600 club, which is good to see. Now, Foles was drafted. I think he was a third rounder, um, but Keenum wasn't. And both of those guys, you know, they're not super great quarterbacks, but if you get a late round quarterback that's as good as Nick Foles or Case Keenum, you've done a really good job. Foles, of course, did quarterback the Eagles to a Super Bowl. Uh, and Case Keenum, he's, he's not great, uh, but he once was the number one quarterback in DVOA for a year on the Vikings with uh, some really good receivers to play with. So you can win with either of those guys. Um, they're, like, they're not perfect, but it's good that my system managed to pick them out. Um, so that's always good to see as well. Um, and uh, let's see what else we got here. Um, it's it's also, um, it, so it's not perfect. It did like Sam Darnold a ton. A lot of people did. So uh, it's not, you gotta add some nuance here. And nothing, no system's gonna be perfect, obviously. There's a lot of stuff that's not scoutable by anything on the field, a lot of makeup questions on guys. Um, but in general, it does pretty well. Uh, it loves Baker Mayfield a ton and always had. It picked up Justin Herbert uh, both early and later in his career. Um, it liked Kyler Murray. Uh, but in Kyler Murray's class, the guy like next best was actually Gardner Minshew, who didn't go until the sixth round. And, um, you know, again, not a great quarterback, but a pretty good one um, when he's actually allowed to play on the field. Uh, and finally, last year, I mentioned Tyler Huntley already. And Tyler Huntley's QBOPs 
was right there with Russell Wilson's. It was fantastic. Now, he's playing later. Um, the era of offense is better. Now it's probably not quite as impressive as Russell's. Um, but it was good enough that he should have gotten more more pull than he did. Um, and it's not just QBOPs that did this. And so, uh, you know, I have my stat. And it's a good starting point because it just it pull, it puts a highlight on guys that you want to check more out. Um, Tyler Huntley's CPO, CPOE was also really good. Good enough that Hermsmeyer actually wrote about it. Um, and despite a lot of good underlying stats for Tyler Huntley, didn't get a senior bowl invite, didn't get invited to the scouting combine, and that is ridiculous. Um, his his uh, QBOPs and his underlying efficiency numbers were essentially the equal of Joe Burrow, who was a universally praised, touted prospect, um, the consensus number one person in the draft who went number one. And um, yet everybody ignored Tyler Huntley except for a few analytics people who were like, hey, look at that guy's underlying stats. So um, he went undrafted. He landed with the Ravens, as, as we all know. And because it was such a weird year last year with, with COVID and people getting hurt a lot, um, Tyler Huntley actually got to play, even though he was essentially the fourth string quarterback for them. And he got to play in the divisional, divisional playoff round. And I won't say that he justified my praise of him because it was a very small sample size. But you know, he basically entered a playoff game against a really good defense with not that many reps as the fourth stringer um, and looked pretty good. He, shook out, he had some early rust. He missed it, an open touchdown to Hollywood Brown on a really nice call. Um, but he completed some nice passes. He had some really nice scrambles. And his receivers let him down late, as the Ravens receivers did all year. Um, J.K. Dobbins dropped a pass in the flat that he maybe would have scored on. Certainly would have gotten down to close to the one-yard line. And Huntley's very mobile quarterback. He probably would have taken it in from there. And Mark Andrews dropped. Uh, I'm not going to blame him too much because he did. He had guys draped all over him. But he dropped what he probably should have caught as a touchdown pass, too, that would have gotten the Ravens back into the game with about two minutes left. So um, it wasn't a perfect performance from Huntley, but he looked like a guy who belonged in the league and certainly who should have been drafted. Um, so... Uh, it's an instance of my numbers, I think, doing a good job of picking out a guy that, that got overlooked. Um, so this year is an interesting year because every quarterback who's a big prospect in this class is in the 400-600 club. That's Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and Kyle Trask. All are. Um, there's some underclassmen who joined them there. Um, North Carolina, again. Sam Howell, uh, Coastal Carolina's Grayson McCall. Oklahoma's Spencer Rattler and Ole Miss's Matt Corral, all undergrads, not eligible for the draft. And then there's Felipe Franks, the only other one, the the, the guy who's out this year as well. So let's talk about Felipe Franks and, and why the system sees him as a good quarterback, um, why others may not, both for both good and ill. So um, really quick. Felipe Franks is also not a perfect prospect. And really quick on his history, you can find it in my piece if you want to uh, on um, on why I do like him. But he started at Florida, and he did not do well there. He he struggled in his first year. Um, he got a little bit better in his second year, and he was actually looking pretty good as a junior. But he suffered a catastrophic ankle injury in his third game, uh, missed the entire rest of the season. His backup was Kyle Trask, and he he lost his job to him. So. Um, it given he did not start out like gangbusters, you know, th there's good reason to doubt that he actually is that good. Um, that that's that we can't just discount his first two years there, but there's a lot of context to that as well. Um, and it's worth pointing some of that out because not everything 
uh, so Kyle Trask came and did great. And I don't, this is not meant to be a knock on Kyle Trask, but he had an easier time of it than Franks did at Florida. Um, for one thing, Frank started with a worse coach. Um, his coach would, would go on to be fired after his freshman year. Um, that was Jim McElwain. So uh, he's considered to be a very poor coach in Florida history. He took over from Will Muschamp, who kind of drove the, the offensive part of the program into the ground. Um, uh, McElwain took over, really failed to build it back up. And um, aside from not running a good offensive scheme, uh, he also didn't recruit very well. And uh, he was bringing it back from Muschamp recording poorly. But the only NFL caliber receiver who Franks really played with uh, was Kadarius Tony, And you'll note that Kadarius Tony's in this draft. So Felipe Franks had him at Florida as a freshman and a sophomore. And guys get better as they get older, you know, Franks included, but also Kadarius Tony. There was not a lot of other talent there um, for Franks to work with until his junior year when he broke his leg. Um, that's when they started to actually recruit guys who were actual NFL caliber receivers. So um, he, he did have uh, Van Jefferson, Van Jefferson, who's in the NFL, um, briefly. But his junior year, um, when Trask took over, Trask got to work with Van Jefferson as a senior, Kadarius Tony as a junior, and Kyle Pitts, who is the best tight end prospect in this class and her- being, is being heralded as one of the best tight end prospects ever. Um, uh, Von Jefferson graduated um, last year. This year, Kyle Trask um, still got to work with Pitts, still got to work with Tony as a senior. Um, and th- they added uh, Trevor Grimes, I believe his name is, who's in this draft class as well. Not bad. Um, and that's that's just a much better cast than Frank's got to work with. The other thing that happened um, when McElwain got fired is they hired Dan Mullen, who appears to be a pretty good coach. So, he got to work under a better scheme with better players. And, you know, it's not surprising that he put up better numbers. But the weird thing about Franks is that he went to a worse program, but he drastically improved his numbers. So uh, I think that's the other thing we're talking about is he went to Arkansas. And Arkansas is, you know, it's in the SEC. So you're still playing all these really, really good teams. But it's not a good program. And there's not a lot of good players in that program. It, it's, it's a tough place to win. Um, but Frank's underlying efficiency numbers, like I've said, that impressed QBOPs are really, really, really good. They are the equal of Trask. And um, so the fact that he's not regarded as a good prospect means we have to look at, well, why are you producing at a bad school um, against great opponents with lesser talent supporting you? Um, and if, if you are producing at that level, how is that happening if you're not a good quarterback? So um, there are some reasons for that. And by the way, I, I mentioned QBOPS identifies him. Franks also has impressed other things as well. Um, Sports Info Solutions has a couple of statistics that they use um, along the lines of CPOE, uh, PCOMP and on-target percentage. And Franks does very well in both of them, in particular in on-target percentage plus minus. Uh, to give you a quick idea of what that is, uh, it basically tracks how many t- targets you would expect him to be throwing, I'm sorry, how many balls he is throwing on target um, versus how many throws you would expect to be on target based on the depth of those throws. So on target means that the receiver is being hit basically in stride without having to change how they're running the route or stretch or bend funny or anything like that. He's very, very good in those metrics. And um, Pro Football Focus has a a statistic also similar to CPOA called adjusted completion percentage. He's also very, very good on that. 
So it's not just my made-up stat that sees him as an accurate passer. It's other people's. It's verified by other people as well. So um, a lot of the time with guys like Franks, um, with with sort of guys who put up big stats, w- they'll be those small school guys like like at a Boise State. He's not that. He's not getting a lot of help from the people on his team. Um, and a lot of times you'll also see guys who just aren't that physically gifted. They're physically gifted enough to dominate a smaller conference or something like that. But that's the other thing about Felipe Franks. Um, he's been drafted by the Red Sox in baseball. He is a very good all-around athlete, and he also has a very good arm. Um, he has a, a, a Raz over nine. He is a very fast player. Even that ankle injury, to the extent it slowed him down, he's healed from it. He can move, and he he's quick in addition to being fast. By the way, he's very tall. He's six 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 seven, which. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if that's helping him or hurting him. Uh, I think it may be hurting the impression of his athleticism a little bit. But uh, it, I don't even actually like tall quarterbacks that much. But um, his athleticism is not in doubt. And outside of Trevor Lawrence, he probably has the best arm in this draft class. So uh, he, he has produced uh, by lots of metrics. He is a good physical prospect by by RAS, but that's just a compilation of other statistics. You know, he is a good athlete, and everybody agrees his arm strength is really good. That is all scouts across the board, um, including PFF, including SIS. Um, Pro Football Focus wrote in their annual that he's actually thrown the furthest ball that they've tracked since they've been tracking passes in a Hail Mary against Tennessee. Um, I urge you to go watch it. It's awesome. Um, it's not a perfect proxy for arm strength, but when baseball when guy, when baseball is drafting you, you usually have a pretty good arm. And so, we got to look at other reasons that people don't like him, and whether those things are things that should you know knock you down from being a quarterback prospect, or if they're things you can fix because the NFL has been good at fixing guys lately. Josh Allen um, was drafted as a toolsy prospect, and buffalo did a nice job of turning him into an actual great productive nfl quarterback um so it's not like deficiencies should necessarily knock you out either it depends on the kind of um, inefficiency that you have to your game and there are some consistent ones among franks um that he has some mechanical problems and some footwork problems but generally speaking there's not a lot of agreement on exactly what's wrong with him with one exception, and that exception is his play under pressure. Everybody agrees that he's rough in that aspect. But you know who else was rough there? Justin Herbert, ranked as one of the worst players under pressure as a senior at Oregon. Um, but if you think you can't fix that, last year in, the, in his rookie season in the NFL, he ranked as the single best quarterback under pressure in the league. So it's not something that you can't fix. It is something you can fix. Now, maybe teams are really good about telling if you can fix that or not based on a guy's temperament. Um, that's possible. I, I might be wrong about that. But it's a it's weird that there's this sort of one big thing on him um, that is keeping him from raising up the ranks a little bit. Now, um, again, I, I shouldn't just brush away his first two years of Florida. That ankle injury, those are all serious. And he wasn't good. One good season is not is not definitive that can fool you sometimes guys can be good for small sample sizes and indeed felipe franks um does not have a huge air yards component to his game from last year um he tended to he did do a lot of short throws however it's worth noting that his early scouting at florida it was actually very critical of his short throws. That big arm was very good for throwing it deep, and he did plenty of deep throws last year, too, at Arkansas. But 
when you look at the context of his early scouting at Florida as someone who struggled with footwork and mechanics and short throws and read about his scouting report last year that, ha- that is sort of criticizing him for engaging in a lot of short throws, um, you can kind of conclude that he actually improved one of the weaknesses of his game while not really losing the deep ball throwing. So there are some scouting out there that says his deep ball is inconsistent. And um, there is some truth to that. Uh, but the arm is very strong and it can make all the NFL throws. And if you give him some NFL receivers, um, they're going to haul in a lot of those deep throws. So so why why else might Franks be falling? Well, there is one other um, issue. So there's legitimate issues. Uh, there's also some criticism of his, of his decision-making. Um, actually... I was talking to, not talking, DMing with Doug Farrar of Touchdown Wire, Mark Schofield of Touchdown Wire, and decision-making came up as a big thing with him, that he, uh, he, he does not always go through his progressions neatly, that he can lock on to guys. Um, and I, I, I see that, too, uh, on some of his tape. However, um, I think it's a little overstated, and he, again, his production was really good. So if he was locking on to guys, I would expect... I would expect to see more interceptions and a lower completion percentage than he had, and it's just not there. So um, big-armed guys sometimes do that. It was actually a Jordan Love problem as well. Um, They see their guy, and they think he's more open than he is because they can huck it in there. Um, It's also a thing that I think you can fix at the next level, especially if you're in a good scheme, if you're in a Shanahan or a LaFleur scheme where guys are getting more open than you're used to. Um, Being able to make every NFL throw allows you to use that scheme to your best advantage with guys all over the field. Um, Anyway, the other thing that I think is worth noting, though, um, is Jim Nagy. He's the director of the Senior Bowl um, and an NFL scout. He's come under some fire recently for some comments he made about African-American quarterbacks um, being evaluated differently than white quarterbacks. And um, I think consensus for most people is that um, black quarterbacks, African-American quarterbacks, are still treated or not assessed fairly. It's not that we think that people do this consciously. It's just that there is a longstanding unconscious bias in what a lot of people do um, on on giving some people a fair shake. And um, Jim Nagy came out strongly against that, basically saying that there's enough pressure on NFL teams to win that they can't afford to be biased. Um, now, I think that's kind of, well, not kind of, I, I think that's patently ridiculous. And if you just look at what's happened recently in the league with Mitch Trubisky going ahead of um, Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, and maybe Deshaun Watson had some red flags that justify that, but um, ahead, ahead of Patrick Mahomes, there's that. If you look at guys who have fallen and turned into either really good or star players, um, Russell Wilson comes to mind. I know we blame that on short a lot, but that's not necessarily the only reason. The other one would be Dak Prescott, who fell into the fourth round, and people blame that on a DUI he got. But let's see where Mac Jones ends up before we make that the definitive reason, because he also has a DUI, and he's expected to go in the first round this year. Um, Lamar Jackson fell to the very end of the first round, and um, as I like to point out frequently, the, the pick before Lamar Jackson was made by the New England Patriots, p- taking Sony Michelle, a not great running back. Um, so uh, Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the league. Um, Lamar Jackson has an MVP. Dak Prescott's very good when, he's, when he can stay healthy. Russell Wilson's one of the best quarterbacks uh, in the league and one of the best, I, I still think, ever to play the game, just stuck in a bad system. Um, it's not like this doesn't happen fairly routinely. Now, 
Um, Felipe Franks comes from a mixed race family. His father is an African American, um, longtime military veteran, um, and his mom, uh, Ginger, is a, a Caucasian woman. And so, um, you know, make of that what you will. But I, I do think that there may be something to a toolsy quarterback who is produced like him, getting a little bit shorter shrift than he otherwise might. Um, I, I do think it's the toolsy guys. So uh, Lamar Jackson, I, I know people will be like, well, yeah, he's a runner first and passing secondary to him. But Josh Allen was very much like that too. And, and a big part of the Buffalo running game still to this day. Um, and I do feel like the white toolsy guys sometimes get a little bit more of a pass. Um, and I don't think that's terribly controversial to say. So um, I note this because Jim Nagy, who I mentioned at the start of this rant, recently suggested that Felipe Frank should maybe think about turning to tight end. Um, and maybe he maybe he should think about this a little bit more before he says things like that. Because um, if you'll recall, when Lamar Jackson was coming out, it wasn't Nagy who said that, but many older analysts suggested that he should maybe become a wide receiver. And maybe since quarterback's the most important position in all of sports, you should try guys at quarterback before you go suggesting that they should play other positions, especially when they have produced at the level before. So um, anyway, th this has gotten me into much more of a snit than is probably warranted. Um, and I've been ranting for quite a while now. But having seen this happen to Tyler Huntley last year and seeing similar statistics uh, pop up for Felipe Franks this year and scouting that doesn't seem to justify uh, a guy who is, you know, a, a seventh round pick, sixth, maybe out of the draft completely. Maybe he'll go before all that and I'll, you know, this will all be fine. But uh, it, it just strikes me as it, very strange that lessons just aren't being learned here. So again, I might be completely wrong. Uh, maybe Felipe Franks turns into nothing. Maybe uh, he's not good. Maybe his time early at Florida was, you know, indicative. And maybe there are some makeup red flags with him that people have seen and understand. And, um, you know, that's a big part of evaluating guys is evaluating their work ethic and how they'll be coached um, and things like that. But it's also worth noting in almost every scouting report of Felipe Franks, it mentions his leadership ability specifically as a positive. It's in Sports Info Solutions scouting report of him. It's in um, Lance Zerline's scouting report of him. It's in a ton of them. So he seems to be a good guy, well-respected by his teammates, um, that just happened to find himself in a bad spot in college and transferred out of it and improved himself. I, I like to see guys who change their situation and improve based on changing their situation. And I think that there may be something here much more than people are thinking with him. So again, I might be wrong, but and uh, this is very long at this point, but that's sort of how I go through picking guys out. And it's, I go through a very similar process with receivers. Um, you know, guys stick out on my spreadsheet. I go and find uh, people people with better statistics than I make up to see if there is some justification there for what I found and, and dive into their RAS scores, dive into their, you know, their situations at their teams. Did they have good or bad quarterbacking? Um, did they have good or bad wide receiver play? Did they have a good coach who got fired partway through their tenure? Or a bad coach who got fired halfway through the tenure? Did they have good coaching? Um, I do think good players and good coaching sometimes make it hard to evaluate the big school guys because they if you play at Alabama, you have such good receivers and running backs and offensive linemen blocking for you. Same at Ohio State. Um, those guys are often harder to judge, I think, than guys like Franks who, you know, you're playing at Arkansas, it, it really shines a light on what you're doing <laughs> more than anything else. So 
Um, anyway, that's how I arrive. That's how I, I go through this process. I probably spend more time on it than I should. But, you know, it's fun to read about football, and it's fun to make up your own stats and stuff like that. So um, I, I'm looking forward a lot to the draft on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the weekend. Um, and I hope he gets picked, and I hope he ends up in the league just because I, I'm curious as to what he'll do. I think what will make me maddest is if he does end up as a tight end or never playing at all. And you know, I, mean, I guess that is that is telling that I was wrong if he never plays at all. But um, you know, it's kind of a freak accident that Huntley got a chance. And I'm not sure that we would know if he was anything. We still don't really know that. But we wouldn't have gotten a glimpse even without a whole bunch of quarterback injuries last year. So I want my glimpse. So I hope somebody takes a chance on Felipe Franks turns him into a development project, works him out, and gets him into the league. Because I want to know if I'm right or wrong. Uh, you know, I'm wrong a lot. And when I am, I try to change how I do things. I was actually wrong about Josh Allen and Justin Herbert to a large extent. And um, I would, I've changed how I view toolsy quarterbacks as a result of that. I, I wrote a big series of um, on quarterback development earlier this year. You can find it on Acme Packing Company. It's called Quarterback Scarcity is Over. There's three parts to it. And Franks seems like the kind of guy that you should be able to turn into something. I think his ceiling is as high as anybody in this class because his physical tools are, and he was accurate enough to justify that scouting report. Now, maybe there's something in that that makes people think he's going to bomb out, but tools like that, your ceiling is sky high. So um, I'll be rooting for him to get drafted just so I can find out exactly how he's going to be. And uh, I hope you guys all enjoy the draft. I hope you enjoy the uh, the show with the guys. And um, uh, if I can, I'll be streaming with Acme Packing Company. I've mentioned a few times I'm actually moving, and there's a lot of house stuff I have to do. But uh, uh, I will be on that if I can. I'm just not sure it's going to happen. But enjoy the draft, and That's we'll be back soon again. with another in reporting is eligible. The clock ran out on the Vikings once again as they tried to complete a trade with the Ravens, causing television mayhem. Got Vikings. They can turn to pick at any time. That was so Vikings of the Vikings. Again, same thing we had happen last year. You know what? Turn your pick in. The fans were absolutely infuriated. Somebody picks ahead of us. The Jacksonville Jaguars select Byron Leftwich, quarterback from Marshall. We were like seventh, and then we were eighth. The Carolina Panthers select Jordan Gross. And then we were ninth. The Minnesota Vikings select Kevin Williams, defensive tackle from Oklahoma State.